Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 4th of May 2020. Last week we predicted the market would come down. It's certainly done that. It's from if you take from when we were recording last week to now, it's nine pounds off. And what a difference rain makes. Rain means grain. So in the UK, obviously we've had some, not enough really, but plenty enough to green things up and give it a bit of reserve. And everybody's now had some, although one or two are slightly having rain envy. If you look at France, that was probably the the crop that has the biggest influence locally, uh, and that has had some rain as well. Their crop rating has been diminishing, but I expect next week it will start looking a bit better again. If you look at um, the other key or the key area is the Russia-Ukraine. They have not had enough rain in some of the key areas, so there is rain going through, and there's more rain to follow through after today, which... That could be quite a bearish moment if there is significant rain. The forecast is not predicting that. Rain in, if you look at other parts of the world that may have an influence, it's not particularly relevant at the moment. It's delaying harvest a bit in parts of South America, but that actually is putting moisture in the ground ready for the next crop of wheat that's going to be planted. So rain is a positive thing for production and not such a good thing for price. The dry, where dryness is required, is in the US. They need things to dry out so they can get planting their crops. And that looks like there's a window coming in there where they're going to be able to do that. So that also is a bearish model. Your main hope is this drought in Russia, Ukraine. They're reducing their crop size. They've definitely had some damage. But if it rains, it's going to pull around a bit. The other key issue is the kind of political tool. We've mentioned this before. If they have a very high price for grain within their own country, it affects the price of food. And Mr Putin has history on this, where he has at times pulled any export, which if he decides to do that, will give the market a bit of a kick, because the next place that North Africa will come to is probably Europe, which would push the French up, which in turn would push us up. So a value for old crop feed wheat which is not really relevant to all the stuff I've been talking about, but old crop feed wheat, in my view, there is definitely enough on farm. I'll get in trouble with some farmers for this, but, you know, you want to hear what the market's going to do, so so take it on the chin, lads. That market is going to come down in value. I am convinced old crop wheat is overvalued, there's too much of it, and lots of you cannot carry it. You're pretending you can, but you can't. You haven't got the facilities, and you've got too many different commodities that's going to come into your sheds. So if you have old crop wheat, our recommendation, without any doubt, is to sell it. At the moment, you'd probably, there's been prices still in the 150s X if you're looking at June and July. I believe by the time we're next recording, it'll be into the 40s. And I believe the real blood on the carpet will come as the season develops and people ditch what they've got. I think we will end up trading old crop feed wheat sub 140. Now, that's quite a brave call at this point, and you might think I'm a bit of an idiot on it, and I'm quite happy to stand up in two months' time and be proved wrong, but I believe that is the potential. So you heard it here, and uh, I'll dwell on one of my correct predictions again in a minute. New crop, 155x for November at time of recording. 
looking very vulnerable because of all the things I've just said about the rain. I think that one's going to come off at least a fiver as well, unless... No, I think it is going to come off at least a fiver. If the drought starts kicking in again in a week, two weeks, three weeks' time, and it gets really hot, and the predictions are that it's going to be a difficult set of weather forecasts, then I would say if we don't get bad weather or dry weather, then I'm afraid the market is looking very vulnerable. You are at risk with that crop in the sense that, what are we going to do with it? Yeah, we're going to be an importer because we've not produced enough. But demand is dramatically down. We said that last week. And with demand being dramatically down, the true figures of that we don't yet know. You know, how many tonnes did McDonald's not buy towards their chickens and their little uh, buns and all the rest of it? How much has the whole wholesale sector taken less? What effect is it going to have on the S&D figures? But certainly it's had an effect, and uh, you lot baking the odd loaf at home isn't going to make the difference. So, yep, not the most positive, upbeat market view on wheat at this point, but obviously your hope is politics with Mr Putin and rain. Feed barley, I'd like to be um, patted on the back for predicting the thing that happens every single year. Uh, Isn't that complex? Uh, Feed barley, I have said since about January, will give up the ghost at some point, and it has. So it traded yesterday at 130 delivered into Ipswich. There's no consumer buyers at this point, although I'm sure there's the odd load to be bought. So you're looking at prices getting close to 120x farm. I do not see a big demand for old crop feed barley appearing. There's been lots of rain in Spain, the earliest harvest of barley, so they're not going to be such a big importer. I am of the opinion that, as predicted, feed barley, old crop, you still need to sell it because if you try to sell it for harvest, it's going to be a bigger discount than this. But where the hell is it going to go? I'm feeling a bit glum about barley because the volume of malting barley that's going to be carried and the size of the crop that's coming, it really is a much bigger crop. And that is going to prove a problem to shift. And that is not being negative as a trader. It's giving you information that is real. If you don't like to hear it, block your ears. But it's true. There is too much barley. And unless something goes hideously wrong with production, those prices are going to be on the floor. Let's talk about oilseed rape. Webby reckons it's 300 for both old and new crop, although potentially old crop could be a little bit more than that. The crops look good in the field, look better in the field because of the flowers, but uh, estimates are poor. Two and a half to four tonnes a hectare, four tonnes being the max. Again, wholesale use of oils, all your chip shops, all your restaurants, all of the things that, you know, McDonald's and all the stuff you get fried at Kentucky, that's all vegetable oils and that doesn't bode well for usage. Yes, it's a smaller crop coming in, but let's face it, with a yield prediction potentially of two and a half tonnes a hectare or whatever it is on some of those awful fields, it's looking favourite to be the crop that gets dropped. So what are you going to grow instead? So... There's my cheerful, not very cheerful, market report. Now, at this point, I'm going to pick up on something that I have had a number of people comment on, and uh, we will attempt to alter slightly the end or the start of our podcast. Because when I talk about the market report, I say any decision to trade is yours. And apparently, I say any decisions to trade is yours as well. Now, the debate with our favourite Earl is, um, he should he said we should say, are yours. So on the basis of my opinion, any decision to trade is yours, and any decisions are yours, okay? Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Get your website working for you with East Coast Design Studio. Want to know how to increase traffic to your website? 
East Coast Design Studio are offering a free full site assessment and SEO appraisal to help you improve the performance of your business. Each website report comes with a clear, actionable and prioritised list of recommendations that you can implement in order to reach more customers. Want to get more visitors to your website? Go to eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk and click on the ribbon on the homepage. Oh, and did we mention it's free? And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today I've got with me Rob Melton. Hello, Rob. Hello, Andrew. And Rob is the manager of the Aylsham Grain Store where we work, well, we're in the office alongside it. And what I want to do is kind of go through a very important part of our business and show some comparisons to farm storage and try and explain some of the reasons why we do the things that we do. So, Rob, how long have you been working at Aylsham? Uh, This will be my seventh harvest, I think. Six, seven years. And before that, had you any big experience on grain storage? Well, I come from a farming family, so just in around the farm and a bit outside of storage. It coming in from the field and, you know, jumping around in grain heaps when you're a kid. Yeah, well, you're not allowed to jump around in grain heaps, are you now? No, no not anymore. <laughs> it's certainly, growing up on a farm, you're right. Well, in my young days, it was sacks, actually, because I'm that old. But, yeah, it's uh, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. If not a bit It's itchy. not, it's not a, a bad way to grow up around a farm. Now we've got, you know, it's all silos at Aylsham, and predominantly the stuff on site is malting barley. Yeah. And I kind of want to just, if you like, do a bit of education for people in terms of some of the hoops we have to jump through in comparison to the, you know, the old farmer sweep out the barn and tip the trailer up and then move it in two or three weeks' time without any air going through it. You know, what's the first thing that happens when you turn up on site here? Well, obviously the bridge is the first line of defence, as we say, of checking about the quality of the stuff coming in. So we obviously do tests on the the moisture, the nitrogen for protein for wheat, other tests if need be, the screenings and things like that. So a lorry comes on the way bridge, the suction pipe goes into a place we select on the lorry. Mm -hmm. We visually inspect it, don't we? Oh yeah, you've got to have a look on top. You have got to have a look on top because you don't know what's going to be on top and more importantly, you don't know what's going to be on the bottom, do you? Well, no, that is the thing. And so where the probe goes, is there a special place? I mean, we try and be as thorough as possible. You normally go sort of front, middle and back, but it's difficult sometimes to get into the corners so you can sometimes shunt a lorry forward or ask them to pull forward so you can check right at the back because, as we all know, some people like to to put things on the bottom. Well, this is, this is where we're going to first start dancing in the how can I possibly be shocked at this conversation and it'll sound like farmer bashing probably, but... Even a farmer's cooperative store has people hiding stuff on the bottom, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the problem for us is it's very difficult to take a representative sample from 29 tonnes. But we do the best job we can because if somebody puts something that shouldn't be there and that then gets into the system and into a silo, we've then contaminated thousands of pounds worth of grain, Mm. which for us is a huge problem because as a 21,000 tonne store, we are under a lot more scrutiny yeah. from people to make sure that things are as they should be. Listen, it's taken me most of my career to get serious malting barley storage contracts. They're like hen's teeth. And once you've got them, you have to keep them. You bust every gut you can to keep them. And if someone comes along and sticks something dodgy in and it messes up a silo, the judgment is upon the store. The judgment is upon doing grain as a trading team, managing it or having that contract. And... Yeah, we really have to try very hard to make sure nobody's doing something stupid just for the sake of gaining 50 quid. Yeah, a great example would be if 
one of the store members puts some grain that they know has bugs, for instance, on the bottom of a lorry because they want to get rid of it, and then we don't pick that up on our bridge. If that then goes into the silo, we've then contaminated a thousand tons, and you can't draw that out again no. because the, you draw from we discharge from the bottom, so it draws from the top, which means basically you then have to fumigate the whole bin, which is at the store's cost, and yep. you know it causes a lot of work for us, and that also means that we're surrounded by phosphine gas, which you know we try to avoid where possible. Absolutely. And I think that um, it might shock some of you to realise that, you know, sometimes, oh, do you know what, we'll just sweep that up. In my time, in you know, deliveries, the worst occasions, you know, there's people I've dealt with in the past where I've had people put concrete on the bottom of the load. They, yeah. they kind of were a little bit loose with their bucket loading. Uh, we had someone a few years ago with a load of flints, didn't we? Yeah. There were loads of them on the grid. Well, no doubt some of the smaller ones went through the system. And, you know, we've got a magnet that takes metal out, but flints and these bloody great big things were there that would have done untold damage to the oh yeah there's oh. there's you know things going up the elevators you sometimes do you can't avoid stones we've done everything in our ability by you know installing magnets on outload and and on intake so that we can you've got to expect bits of combines to turn up bits of tractors the odd nut yeah. and bolt because that is part and parcel of plenty it. of oak tree yeah there's always <laughs> the headlands there's always a good good one for that yeah. but by being as vigilant as possible we save our machinery and we save our time instead of having to repair things because something's gone up the intake and, you know, destroyed one of the conveyors. I mean, most modern facilities don't have that. You know, there's good concrete floors, there's good bin storage on farms, there's good loading facilities. And lots of the Aylsham tonnage comes straight from combine anyway. So the stuff, the bits of oak tree I'm talking about is genuinely... Unavoidable. Absolutely. But um, there's always the farmer who doesn't set his combine up properly as well, isn't there? So awns or chopped straw. Oh, man. It, people would be surprised how much of a bane straw is for us. Because yeah. you think it's quite an innocuous thing, just a bit of straw. But it isn't, because how our system works is it the ducting narrows down to, to small points. Yeah. And if you get straw, it hangs up in the bottom and it bridges, and then it can cause blockages, and it can cause... Well, we had, a, fire, we had a big fire once on the top of uh, an intake elevator where the straw had, had accumulated and didn't pass through and, and the wearing of, the, of the, the bearing or whatever at the top, you know, the, the wheel going round, got hotter and hotter and hotter and eventually the straw that got caught there caught on fire and the smoke, it went through the whole site along the conveyors. It was, this is a long time ago, but it was quite marked how far the smoke actually went around the site. It was quite an annoying moment. I tried to tell the farmer that he wasn't, his combine wasn't set up right. You can imagine how that went down. Yes, what I do can. I know? I'm only a grain trader, yeah. I'm only a grain trader with my bloody grain store on fire. And it's your fault, mate. Oh, no, it's not. You know. Anyway, it's in the past. <laughs> but, you know, on a, on a daily basis, the comparison between farm storage and, and a store like this with malting contracts, what do we do each week? Well, I mean, we're, we're quite a small team here at Elsham. So we work alongside each other quite well, and we have to basically do maintenance on the machines. We keep checks on all the bins. So, I mean, for example, we've got temperature probes in every bin, four in the, in the larger bins, one in the, in the thousand tonners. So we can keep a real-time view of what is actually going on inside the bin. Mm -hmm. So we've had before where you do get hot spots in bins, but we're able to flag that up through our temperature probes, and if something needs to be done, we can act on that. We also have pitfall traps in each bin, which gives us a, a way of monitoring to see if we do have any insect problems in the bins. And to be fair, you, you, know, you can't go wrong with just putting your head in and you know, having a smell because you, could, you soon know if there's something wrong in a bin by the way that it smells. 
Yeah, and it's a full-time job, so it's something that we do on a weekly basis in the yeah, early and, season. I mean, we, we take monthly samples and uh, we, we test all those to make sure that the, the grain that we are storing is, is kept as it was when it came in because at the end of the day, some grain can stay here for, for a year, sometimes longer. And so when we outload that grain, we want it to be top quality we want it to to get into the the maltsters without any problems or any claims because that is what our job is about quite often a maltster will have like 600 tons in one day because it's a steepful and you have to be able to load that much out don't you so yeah you need to know when the button is pressed it'll work and you need to know that you're going to be it's going to work all day long and you've got it contingency it'll definitely be there for the lorries that are turning up and it's got to get to the maltings on time then they love you that for the next year they go yep they're good old boys we'll come back yeah. I mean, that is, that is what our, our job is about, really, is to keep the monsters happy and to keep the farmers happy. Uh, like anyone that's brought grain into Elsham during harvest will know that we do everything in our ability to get people moving as quickly as possible to get them back to that combine so that people aren't held up and that they can continue yeah. doing what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is the, one of the key issues for all of our stores, isn't it? We try and make ourselves open longer and open all the time, if possible, to make sure that people can just get on with it and not have any more logistical issues well when it's when something you know is weather dependent you kind of have to to be a little bit flexible with people because you know if someone's got 20 acres left to do and we're coming to close the bridge then you know there is times that we'll <laughs> keep that open a little bit further so they can finish that field there some some people that always turn up we, we're not mentioning any names <laughs> That one person springs to mind five to seven every Friday night in the middle of harvest. One of the other things about malting barley, I mean, obviously we have dried and dressed contracts here. Yeah. You say you're in a small team, you've got, you got Niall who works with you, and he joined us a year ago, two years two ago. Two years ago now, yeah, time flies. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, he's getting old. <laughs> so when you got Niall, you had to teach him the, the ins and outs of, of how the place works. Initially, you don't let anyone near the drying because that's too precious. Yeah, there's a lot that can go wrong with drying. Um, a lot of people you know, that have, have had experience with it will know that you have to keep the temperature at a certain level to avoid killing the germ. Not yeah. necessarily with wheat, obviously, but with molten barley, it's particularly you yeah. know, important to make sure that the temperature doesn't go over 40 degrees. That's an effort, isn't it? It's not, it's not as straightforward as it seems because as the day or the night progresses, you have to change the temperature of the, uh, of the burner, of the, of the dryer, to actually keep it in the right range. Don't well, you? the problem we have, especially doing drying at harvest, is because we've got, this is a cooperative and we're talking about lots of different farmers, we're getting stuff that comes in from yeah. different fields all over Norfolk. So you might get stuff at 14.5 in the same bin with stuff that's 13%. So if you set the dryer up for a certain you know, moisture, say 14, and then you get some 13 come through, that's obviously going to come out drier. So you do have to make adjustments because Mm -hmm. it can be up and down quite a lot. And also, it's one of those things that if you don't keep your eye on it, it's not like you just push the button and leave it. You have to constantly check and constantly take take samples. We take samples here every 15 minutes to make sure that that what's coming out of the dryer is is where it needs to be because we don't want to be putting wet grain into the bins and we don't want to dry stuff unnecessarily. We're being paid to achieve a a very specific goal and so we we do it. It gives us the chance, that 15-minute test, to check the spec of the whole you know, every nitrogen, every moisture, everything is, we've got a proper cross-section of quality. And it also gives you, it, it can help when you come to outload, because if you're, if you're taking samples every 15 minutes and, and writing that stuff down so that you can keep, keep a log, basically, you've then kind of got a, a, an idea of what is in your bin. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, no, I love lived and died with that for many a year, and which makes a big difference, especially with <coughs> nitrogens. You know, if you've had a lot of low stuff come in, we try and separate the highs and the lows the best we can. 
but yeah, it's good to know that you know I've got some lower stuff in the bottom and some more higher stuff at the top. The job of a cooperative is to try and, well, I believe this to be the case, try and achieve the molting grade for as many tonnes as you possibly can for the store members. So if it's outside spec, just outside spec, you know, a purist molster will say, hang on, what's he doing there? But if you get your spec, you know, say it's a 165 max and you're delivering... 161 across the board every load is pretty well in that range then you've done your job really really well and everybody's happy and certainly you know we keep consistently doing that but that means that possibly there's some stuff that's outside the range that we've allowed in you know within a field you'll get a a nitrogen variation from two percent to 1.1 but it's just how it is and so our job is to try and not have that terrible moment with the farmer where you kind of go yeah, and you've got to be a little bit lenient because, as we talked about the sampling process, we're taking you know three to five samples of a 29-ton lorry, mm. and there is going to be some variance there. Yeah. So if you're 0.1 out, I mean, you could maybe test that lorry again, and it would be slightly different, yeah. which would then make it a pass. So you kind of it's one of those things that you have to use your common sense and you know play it the best you can because it's all very well to say test it again but when you've got a queue of lorries and tractors down to the road you don't have the chance to do that consistently over a number of years everybody every merchant claims fairness but if you play with a very straight bat and you say look it's not up to it it's going to go in the feed bin the judgment has to be correct if it isn't up to spec make that decision there and then that's the toughest one we'll take that on the chin get as much as you can in relative to what the rest of the market is doing but if it's out of spec, it's out of spec. Yeah, no one gets any joy of telling somebody no. that they're, you know, that what they've spent the year toiling over isn't good enough. Oh, I've had some, I've had some magic moments. When I first came here, I was I wasn't really helped by the the store manager. He was a bit anti me coming in. And all of the guys knew him, and I was the new boy who was like just the whipping boy, really. And I had this this old guy came in with his tractor and trailer and. He uh, tipped this grain out on the desk because I'd kicked it into feed because it had splits and pre-germs. It's completely shot. Yeah, and he was which is s- no good for us because no, no, the monsters will pick that up in an instant. He was so angry. He was angry, and he'd been whipped into a frenzy by the store manager. So I sat there and I thought, I got you know, take my calm pill here. So I went sat down. He said, "What's wrong with that?" So I sat down. I said, "I'll have a look, sir." So I put it on the table and I pulled about twenty grains out. I said, "That one's good. That one's good." Really slowly. That one's good. That one's good. Kept going on. And there's loads of these splitty ones and little ones with wiry, you know, shot. And I pull that one's not so good. That one's shot. And that one's shot. And anyway, by the time I'd got to sort of 60 grains, there were 15 shot. And I said, the tolerance is 2% on 100 grains. I got 75 grains there. There's 15 of them that are clearly shot. That's what's wrong with it. Yeah. It's not always as simple as that, is it? But if your farmer doesn't believe you, you're fair, he gets angry with you and, and, and so on. We don't get that. If we make that judgment largely, people go, okay, fair enough. That's what we aspire to do. If they believe we're fair, I think they're happy to keep coming back. It's newbies who get upset. The locals, the, the usuals, have uh, been coming here so long, they kind of like, you know, they know, don't they? Has COVID-19 affected you then, Rob? Well... Yes, in a way, because... With, Which country were you in? Uh, I was in Costa Rica at the time, um, and they closed the borders to Panama, and so I had to cut my sh- my trip short. And I had to and send my private I, my private jet to go and collect you. Yes, thanks I? for that, Andrew. That's yep. all right. I, I, I hope Anushka looked after you on the way back. Yes, she did. <laughs> oh, I hope some of you believe that. 
you know, it was a bit of a, a bit of a difficult journey getting back, wasn't it? And it looked like you weren't coming back for a little while. It did get a little bit sketchy there for a moment, and I decided that it was the best idea for me, as I have a responsibility to be here for harvest, as I promised I would be. Yeah. So yeah, at great cost, I got on the first plane I could, and I made it back, thankfully. Well, I mean, Niall did a really good job in the meantime, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did himself proud. He did me proud. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, for him, two years into it, there were some tough decisions some of the time. And there's a couple of days where people needed to nail lots of grain, different sorts. And, yeah, it takes a calm head to just like, all right, yeah, I can do this. I was, yeah, impressed. So he, had, he had a great teacher. Obviously. I've worked with some incredibly dodgy grain storekeepers in my time. And I'll, I'll tell you my favourite story of my grain storekeeper when I worked at a company called John Lee Bennett's in Downham Market. At the ripe old age of 25, and I'd taken this job as grain manager because I was a cocky little git, and I thought, I can do anything. So I went over there, and it was just coming up to harvest, and I was sitting at my desk with this team of people who were all older than me, looking at me like, you know, seething. And um, this chap comes walking, his name was Martin, Martin, down the market, and he said, um, the dryer's blew a fire, and, which means that the dryer is on fire. So I leap up. Oh, the gate of Christ. I said, what are you doing? We've got the fire brigade coming. And, and he said, no, no, he ain't called them yet. I said, what do you mean you haven't called them yet? He said, well, I hadn't took hold enough yet, right? I said, don't be ridiculous. Get the fire brigade here. Just sit down. He said, we do this every year. What it was was a, a kind of indirect system where the exhaust was separate from the flame. And every year he would set fire to the chaff in this chute. And then when it got going enough and there was enough smoke, he'd call the fire brigade and the fire brigade would come along and hose the fire out, effectively cleaning out his, his exhaust. <laughs> so ever since then, I've kind of had a slightly relaxed attitude to some of the things that have happened in the meantime, but things have moved on a bit since 19... Oh, that's, to be fair, I've heard a lot of stories about <laughs> fires in places like this because because of the product that we're dealing with. It, there's a lot of potential, especially oh, with the dust I've learned so much. The, the explosions in grain silos is a genuine risk. And, you know, having having conveyors, all the things we have to do for safety that would blow out if we had yeah, an explosion. Yeah, I mean, like, all our <coughs> elevators are, have blow-out panels on them, so if there is, a, if, is an explosion, that it directs the, the explosion away from anyone that's working close. Yeah. Well, back in the day, that lots of places didn't have those things, and lots of farms still got very older kit that hasn't got that. The, the, the potential is still there, isn't it? Well, farmers are a law unto themselves, aren't they? Really. <laughs> just, just one other thing about my old grain store manager, Dan. I just remembered it. He said he actually had his assistant left, and he went to employ someone new. And uh, I said, "Do you want me to come and sit in with you in uh, interviewing him?" He said, "All right then." So. Um, I sat there and this lad came in and we asked. I asked him lots of questions. I was doing all the talking, saying, you know, what do you want to do? How much do you want to earn? And I don't know what else. You know, how many fingers have you got if you're in down the market? That sort of stuff. Do you live in the same house as your sisters? <laughs> Mum says. And, <laughs> and um, all Norfolk. And I said, Martin, have you got any questions? And he said, have you done any humping? <laughs> and what he meant was, has he lifted sacks up? But <laughs> we don't have the pleasures of humping here, do we? No, no. <laughs> So this year, we're, we've still got a fairly large amount of grain on site, haven't we? Yeah, well, obviously with the, the COVID-19 thing, pubs are shut. We're not moving as much barley as we would be because obviously there isn't as, as much demand for, for beer. Well, I'm sure the demand is still there, but people haven't got a place to go and drink it. So, yeah, things are moving a bit slower than they normally would. I'd, I'd like to see this site a bit more empty. <clears throat> Bluntly, but I think, we, I think we both know that um, we've got contracts with monsters who we 
We love having the contracts. A contract is a relationship. And they're not going to move all the barley. We're going to have some left over. Mm. And that applies to other sites as well. And that doesn't bode fantastically well for malting barley prices for next year. But from a storage perspective, it creates a problem. People were thinking there wouldn't be enough grain to fill all the silos that we have. We are going to be overcommitted for storage. or We've got overcommitted tonnage for the volume of storage we're going to have left this year, I reckon. Yeah, I think you're right. And the wheat crop's now looking better. And there's a whole host of things. There's a much bigger spring barley crop. So there's much more of it. There is going to be a problem. So I think we will have to end up carrying some over because it's only right to do that for the people who give us those contracts. Well, that's um, another <coughs> really important reason of why we are so particular about what we put in our bins mm. and make sure that the, the moisture and the temperature is as it should be because if we do go to store two for, for mm. two years, then basically the drier it is, the better it'll store. Yeah, and the temperatures are down to what they... We aim to get by December from harvest down under 12 degrees because that interrupts the bugs life cycles the majority of grain damaging species so we do that in order to if there is any problem in there to slow it down and give us a chance to identify it and deal with it yeah but right now touch wood all is well isn't yeah, it yeah no we are in in a good position when it comes to and we've got another slug going out shortly haven't we some more yeah we've got concerto moving we've got <coughs> crafts moving and we've also got wheat moving the following week so things yeah. do, do seem to be picking up again now couple hundred tons of wheat futures going out next week yeah well anything that they and they want they can have the the more <laughs> the more we get rid of the better only six thousand to go boys uh, in your own time i must admit that one is a bit of a ticking time bomb but that has got to move i'll say that if anyone listens who owns some of our futures it's got to go because we need it for malting barley in the time you've been here, Rob, we have actually, you know, relative to the other managers we've had in the past, we have spent a gargantuan amount of money on maintenance. Yeah, I've managed to blow the budget every year, I think. Yeah, there's a twofold thing in that. One, attitude of the manager in seeing what the site needs to be really efficient and good. Because there's a lot, within that, there's been a lot of things where you can now... It's a much more flexible site, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the things that we've done, I mean, we touched on the, the magnets. We've had all new intakes... Uh, we've replaced a lot of conveyors. Uh, recently, we've done a lot of works with the with the machines up top. Mm. Done a complete renewal up there, um, brought things down to a safe level to work on, and we've also gained an extra two thousand tons that we can tip directly from sea pit, which helps us alleviate some of the the queuing and and the stress of having everyone down this end of the site on A and B pit. We got three intake pits, two one hundred tons an hour. And 160 tonne an hour. So we've got enough to keep anyone rolling. And by having the third pit available to us does make a hell of a difference on those really big harvest days that uh, a cooperative has. Yeah, and it means anything that is dry can go directly down the other end, which then gives us more ability to separate moistures, make it easier to dry, run things over the dresser and just, you know... I think the coincidence of, of having a slightly different attitude on the board as well has helped with that. I mean, the, the, our current chairman, Bob Claiborne, has been very proactive. Oh, yeah, he, he, you know, Bob's been great, really. He, he, yeah. he listens and he understands and leaves it up to us and, and trusts us, which is the <coughs> <his> important thing. <coughs> his attitude to equipment, though, you know, it, it, having stuff that works the minute you want it to work and not trying to make it... Well, if, we, if you look back to oh, a couple of years ago mm. when we had the power cut, we had a power cut here at Elsham, which stopped everything. Yeah. We were running, I think we were running two routes, and we had three pits running at the same time. And 
if we hadn't have updated our intake pits, we would have had to dig each of those pits out. I've done it enough times. We yeah. would have been. It, it would have brought else. <laughs> there were 1981 knees. intake pits, weren't they? And they were knackered. And yeah, so they when, didn't. They didn't owe you. When a things lot. were cut out, then you had to physically free them up by digging them out. Yeah, which was a very laborious task, and it meant that we would have been at a standstill for yeah. the rest of the day, if yeah. not the following day, yeah, which yeah. would have meant people couldn't continue combining, and we'd have had a lot of probably angry farmers on the phone yeah well usually when they've blocked up in history there's everybody's given a shovel oh know. yeah people um, are good here <clears throat> i tend to turn up the last five minutes just to or the first five again they get a shovel the, the, like the classic one that someone does every year <laughs> we always uh, nominate a spillage idiot at elsham yeah. for the yeah. for the greatest spill and it's normally when somebody changes the pipes or changes tractor and then when they think they're going to push their tailgate uh, well, they're going to lift the trailer up. It ends up opening the tailgate, and you end up with yeah. ten ton of grain in the middle of the yard. Yeah, and a very embarrassed farmer. In my experience as a trader, you know, because the us and them can exist on on grain sites where the office never get grubby. If I ever spot that, I try. I'd like to say you'll back me up on this. I try to get well, out. Well, to there. be fair, Andrew, on my first day, I was in a bin, and you did. You came in, and you and you gave us a hand. Yeah. Lead by example, as they say. Well, if you're going to ask someone to go into a bin and uh, and do that shit job, you need to show that you appreciate how shit the job is. And believe me, I have over the years done that enough times. But that's a, an attitude I have if I have to ask people to work crazy hours at some times. And uh, I, yeah, largely, I'd like to think if they do have to do that, they they kind of well. That's kind of the my managerial style is you don't ask anyone to do anything that you're not prepared to do yourself every shit job here i have done yeah i may delegate now to niall (laughs) but i have done it believe me yeah yeah at this point we uh, we normally have a beer rob Uh, it's an incredibly trendy little can that says friday ipa and it's red look a coke can hoppy and multi altered bavarian indian pale ale blahdy blahdy blah brewed in bavaria Brewed in Bavaria by and Union GmbH, whoever that is. So it's a German IPA. Okay. Uh, alcohol reduces drivability. Don't Pilo. drink and drive. Don't be a dumbass. It says. So I'm going to just see how that goes. It is very uber trendy, and I'm now going to. In fact, you can pour it because right. I'll keep. You know, because this is a test. Because Webby always makes it crazy head. How many? Uh, what's the? What's the? It's Bavaria. Six point five. Oh, don't be a dumbass. Okay. Thoughts, Andrew? It's a bit like going to the pub and drinking with a bloke again, isn't it? Like <laughs> sort of sitting there with wine and talking inanely about stuff. Yeah, that's all right. Actually, I'd drink that. Yeah, it tastes better than it smells. Cloudy cloudiness is very trendy nowadays, isn't it? There, there are people trying to pretend that's how it should be, and I've got to say, it doesn't take away from the flavours. So no, that's the thing I've found no, with I quite like when that. you get strong beers, it often takes it away from the flavour. It doesn't taste as strong as. No, I quite like that. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, so we're going to give that a thumbs up. Anyway, Rob, thank you very much for coming in. I mean, we've been uh, working through this COVID thing because the grain is still moving. We're alternating days in the office part-timers, but, you know, largely it hasn't really been that quiet in the actual store, has it? No, because there's always things to do. I mean, I think a lot of people think that once harvest is over, we shut the doors and, you know, it's a bit of a jolly, but it isn't at all because there's numerous machines here, elevators, conveyors, cleaners, all these things need constant maintenance because as anyone knows working with machinery machinery breaks wear and tear it's like like a car so when we when we have the first day the 9th of july and the first load of barley turns up we'll go all right peel back the top off the intake pit we'll press the button 
and it'll work, won't it? Uh, don't jinx us, Andrew, but yeah, it should do. <laughs> Rob, thanks very much. I hope that's uh, given some people some insight into, A, why there's perhaps a bit more store charges or a little bit more than farmers think they are that there's lots more to be done on a professional grain site to maintain contracts. And more importantly, the, your, your local co-op is genuinely, from top to bottom, caring about you. Thanks. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 